Please be seated. And we're going to hear from Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. This morning uh, we're beginning a, a, a summer series on the Psalms, and I very gaily said, yeah, yeah, I'll do the first one, and I'll do it on um, Psalm 51, which is a psalm of repentance. And then I came to prepare it, and I, I really feel, especially after having preached it earlier, that I want to give just a little health warning that as we delve into this and look at the issues that lie behind it, it might touch on some very painful and difficult issues, but I don't want to skirt around them. I want to name them because so often we haven't named them, we've hidden them. But it might trigger some things for you. So just be aware that during communion, after you've had communion, there will be people there who can pray with you and pray for you and afterwards people to talk. So I don't want anybody to walk away from here feeling, oh, I haven't talked about this. I'm also aware that we're going to be talking about power dynamics and power and often has a victim and the victims are often silent. And in this psalm, it's about somebody who's a perpetrator finding forgiveness. So just be aware of that. And we're not forgetting those who often have suffered at the hands of people. So let's pray. Father, will you help us as we come in to understand a little bit more about the depth of your forgiveness and healing? 
and that you will speak into our hearts. But also, Lord, that you will protect us as we think about difficult issues this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. At the heart of this psalm is a great conundrum about how do we deal with guilt when we know that we have done something wrong and it's overpowering us and we cannot find freedom from it. And to a lesser or greater extent, all of us will have had things in our lives that have left us paralyzed by that sense of failure, that we know that we've done something wrong, and maybe some of us may feel that what we've done is so bad that we can't be forgiven. And this Psalm 51 is ascribed in the text to David. It's a Psalm of David. And in the NIV, it helpfully tells us that it's when the prophet, Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And I kind of feel that's a bit of a cover-up. It sounds kind of quite ordinary, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But I want to name it for what actually was going on. David was a king. He was an extremely powerful man. And he decided his choice was to look out of his window and watch Bathsheba bathing herself naked. It was a voyeuristic act, deeply unpleasant. And he watched it so long he became inflamed with lust. And what he did was command that she should be brought to him, knowing that she was belonged to another man, knowing that she as a woman had no power at all in that society. And he brought her to himself. And the Bible tells us that she laid with him but let's call it what it was. It was a rape of a powerful man over a very, very vulnerable woman who had no power. And then later when she reached out to him to tell him that she had been impregnated by him, his first thoughts were, how can I cover this up? How do I get away with it? He wasn't sorry. He just wanted to cover up. And so he arranged for a husband who was away fighting at the front to come back so that he could sleep with his wife and think that the baby was his own. But Uriah was a much greater man than David, and so instead of sleeping with his wife, he said, my men cannot take comfort as I can because they're still at the front, so I will not because I want to stand with them. And so David finds himself stuck. His way out has gone. Instead of coming clean and trying to put it right and recognizing his sin, he decides to have Uriah murdered by ensuring that he's placed right in the thick of the battle. And sure enough, that's what happens. Can you see the misuse and abuse of power that is going on there in so many ways and the impact of what's happening on the people around? And not just on the people because he's a king on the whole state. It's an awful, awful crime. And then to compound it, Nathan comes to him and he tells David a story as a prophetic story. Uh, and in this story, he tells him of a rich man who had everything that he needed. And yet he saw when it came to a feast that his neighbor, who was a very poor man, had one prize ewe that he'd nurtured and cherished. And he took that ewe for himself and slaughtered it and ate it for his meal. And when David saw that, heard that story, he was furious. How dare that rich man take that yet poor man's only possession that he had? How dare he? And at that point, Nathan turned around and said, yes, that is you. That is what you have done. And that's the backdrop that we're told to this psalm. 
And so we're told David, in his attitude, having done all of this, comes to God and his first words are, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy upon me according to your unfailing love. And according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And what strikes me there is that David is not at this point saying anything about his own actions and worthiness. He's not trying to justify it or find anything. He is simply appealing to the mercy and grace of God. And I think that's a really important place to start. Wherever we come from, whatever our experiences are, we can come to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and simply ask for mercy. And it kind of really helped me to understand that when I was in Germany, and some of you may have heard this uh, story before, but I met the principal of a theological college in Nuremberg. And Nuremberg, you may remember, was the heart of Nazi Germany and where the Brown Shirts movement started. And it was a stronghold for Hitler's uh, um, uh, genocide of the Jews. And the church at the time, the Lutheran church, colluded with the Nazi party and didn't stand up against what was happening. And this theological uh, principle, standing underneath a cross made out of barbed wire and, and doves made out of barbed wire, spoke of the deep, deep sense of guilt that the German church had carried and had lived with. How could the Christian church have colluded with such terrible acts and not protested? And he said in the end, the only way in which they were able to come to terms with it and live with themselves was by appealing and relying entirely on the grace of God. And lest we become uh, complacent, we need to remember that in our own history as an Anglican church in this country, the Anglican church owned slaves. And when our slaves were troublesome and we uh, were causing problems, uh, we branded them so that people would know where to bring them back. How can we live with this? And in the end, it's only when we come back to the grace of God. And that's something I think that David teaches us that the first step is just to come back to God and recognize that the only person, the only one who can actually do something about sins of this depth and nature is God himself. And then the second step of that path and a painful path to redemption comes when David takes full responsibility for his actions. He says, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. He would have seen writ large in his family and in the people he had harmed what he had done and the impact of it. And Nathan had confronted him. He knew to his core how wrong he had been. And he doesn't try to hide from that. And he also recognizes that there is something about the choices that we make sometimes that are so wrong that actually reveal a deeper propensity to sin. And he talks about it as being, surely I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me, from the moment that I was born. That there's something about us that we live in a world of sin and life that brings us to choose and make wrong decisions. 
But he recognizes, surely you desire truth in the innermost parts. You want to teach me wisdom in the inmost place. This is not your will for my life. And verse 4, he says, you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. He's putting up his hands and saying, I am guilty as charged. None of these politicians who come up with all kinds of reasons why they weren't there or whatever it might be, I am guilty as charged. He took responsibility. In the late 19th and early 20th century, a movement swept across East Africa, and again, some of you have heard me refer to the East African revival. But what was really significant about that, which brought a release and a healing to countless people, many of whom are still alive, was that when the Holy Spirit touched people's lives, it was it came with a moment of confronting them with what they'd really done in their lives and bringing them to public repentance. So next time you go to a place and you ask for the Holy Spirit to come, just be a little bit careful about what you ask for. And some of those people are still alive. And my friend Bishop Sheldon, right, during the last month when they were having the centenary of the East African revival, or 110 years or whatever, kept sending me stories of people who'd been touched through it. And one of those was a doctor who had become addicted to drink and was uh, drinking so much alcohol that when he was uh, doing his surgery, his hands were shaking all the time and he was endangering the lives of his patients. It was so bad that he reported that when he went to the bank to try and sign for a check, he had to sign eight times before they would be convinced that actually his signature was who he said he was. He had to accept and come forward and confess all that he'd done. But God, at that point, changed his life. And he's looking back at that point from 40 years of a life lived with God in rejoicing and of a marriage of 39 years in gratitude. The possibility of redemption only comes when we're willing to take responsibility and to acknowledge the problem and what we have done. The third step is asking God to renew his heart and mind. He's asking God to cleanse him with hyssop, to purge him. Hyssop is a kind of priestly thing, a sprinkling, a symbolic act of, of cleansing. He's wanting God to cleanse him. But also, in that moment of, of cleansing, to be able to help him to be washed, to become whiter than snow, so that he can hear joy and gladness again. Part of the problem that we have when we have un disclose sins, when we're hiding things, whether they be little or small, is that they destroy our joy. They stop us from being able to worship God. They stop us from being able to live in open relationships. They damage the whole fabric of society. And David's recognized that. And he's praying that God, in that act of confession, will now restore to him the joy that he's lost because of the decisions and actions that he has taken. And although he knows he doesn't deserve it, he recognizes, and we know that, there is, that the power of a forgiven heart can be a huge driver for a transformed life. And again, I just, the next two stories I'm sure I've shared before, but they just uh, really speak into this for me. And, and 
have really touched my life, and I come back to them again and again. So you're going to come back to them again and again. But this is a lady who is a friend of mine, a deeply joyful woman who was a missionary in Uganda uh, in the 1930s. And she was uh, there, uh, and she was a young woman out there, and she was receiving all the money from the mission agency for the school. But she was lonely, and she liked nice clothes. So she started stealing some of the money that had been given from the mission agency and uh, using it for herself rather than for the teachers' salaries and for, the, and for the benefit of the school. And she was caught up in this web of deceit. And uh, everyone kept asking her to come to revival meetings, and she kept saying no, because she didn't want to go, because she knew what might happen. In the end, she ran out of excuses, and she went to one, and sure enough, the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she felt compelled by God to stand up and confess that she'd been stealing money from the school and from the staff and then to write to the mission agency to confess her sins to them and invite them to recall her and amazingly the staff forgave her and when the mission agency got the letter they wrote back to her and said now finally you can begin to do what God has called you to do She confessed it publicly. God forgave her. She was ready to pay the price, but instead God set her free. And she spent the next 60 or so years serving the Church of Uganda and the children in her care and is so revered and worshipped across Africa because of what she has done. That path of being willing to be transformed and being restored by God. And the fourth step for him is in receiving that sense of of being forgiven, of knowing that things have been washed away, David then turns around and says, Then, Lord, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. David says, If God is going to forgive me, then he'll dedicate himself to helping others who have sinned and to putting things right. And not only that, to proclaim the graciousness and righteousness of God in grateful praise. And there's another story of a man who had dread, dreadful things uh, that I come back to again and again as a sign of God's grace. He got drunk as a very young man, and uh, he'd gone, well, he, before we go back, he went to one of the, the revival meetings and stood up to confess publicly what had happened. And he confessed that as a young man, many, many years before, he had uh, got drunk and come home and had managed in his drunkenness to kill his wife. And he buried her behind the hut to conceal it and told everybody that she had run away. And everybody believed him. And for years he carried the secret and it had been eating away inside him. And he confessed it and felt freedom. But he knew that that was not enough. He knew that he had to put things right, so he went back to the magistrate knowing that the penalty that he uh, should face was the death penalty for his crime. And he confessed uh, to the magistrate what he had done. And the magistrate said to him, why have you come after all these years? No one would ever have known. You didn't have to come. And he explained that God had forgiven him, and because God had forgiven him, he needed to put it right and to pay the price. And as a result, the magistrate, after a while, said, no. If God has forgiven you, who am I to condemn? 
go in peace. And this man became a missionary across the whole of Africa, speaking about a God who can transform lives and bring hope. But I want you to notice that it wasn't an easy thing for him. Repentance wasn't just about, um, great God's forgive me, everything is wonderful, I can have a great life. He was recognized that he needed to go and offer himself completely to pay the penalty, even at the expense of his own life, to put things right. And actually, reparations are so important. If we've done things that are wrong, we need to find ways to put them right. And that's part of what David was saying. If you'll forgive me, then I will go back and begin to dedicate my life to making things right. That's why reparations are so important for slavery. That's why those conditions are going on, because we still benefit from the proceeds of slavery. And today we are getting, you know, why should we, who's, uh, who's, as, as people who have um, never experienced slavery, be better off and benefit more from the proceeds of slavery than those who were enslaved? And that is what happened. Reparations are so important. When this process of repentance and forgiveness and renewal leads on into a life that's lived in a new way. A life where we are free to have proper relationships, where we're able to be open with one another, to live in love and joy and peace, but to commit ourselves to building a kingdom that is based on God's practices and God's wills, where there is reparation, where there is justice. And as I come to a conclusion, I want to just draw your attention to the fact that the last two verses in this psalm, which has been about one man's journey to finding forgiveness and restoration, is about the community, about strengthening the community, that the community too can share in the riches of God. And that's really important because we've heard about David's act, but actually David's act had massive impacts on Bathsheba and others. And those things could never be fully put right. And we can't lose sight of that. That actually all of us need healing and that the victims particularly need that support and care. And they need reparation as well. But what God wants is to recognize that we are a broken people and we come from all kinds of backgrounds. And the broken people and people who have been broken and those who've done the breaking can somehow in God's grace find a way to build a kingdom that is different. And that comes through forgiveness, repentance, renewal, and restoration. And the ultimate picture of that restoration for us is in Jesus Christ who offered his life on the cross for us. And that's what we will be celebrating in our communion. Because he said, I, the Lord who created you, I've offered up my life to pay the price for all the wrong that you have done in order that you might be set free to live the life that you are meant to live, to put right those things that have been wronged and to be full of joy and to build a community where people know love and compassion, where they're protected and cared for. And that's our calling, to be people of repentance. Now, not all of us will have done things like David, who knows? I don't know what's in our hearts, but all of us will have things that we have done wrong that we may carry. And God doesn't want us to carry 
that guilt and that sense of unforgiveness. He wants to set us free, that we can be more effective for him. And if we have been harmed or hurt, God also doesn't want us to carry that hurt for the rest of our lives. He wants us to come to him, the one who shared and was himself a victim, but triumphed over it. He came from death to life. And he says, come and put your hand in my hand and I can bring you healing from the past. So let us pray. Lord, we have touched on very difficult themes today. We have thought about a forgiveness that goes to some of the very deepest and most painful parts of our human experience and life. And we pray that now, through your Holy Spirit, you would hold our hearts and minds close, that you would speak into our innermost parts, you would see if there is any offensive way in us that you want to bring to light and to bring healing for, that you want to set us free from. And Lord, for those of us who have been hurt by others, will you hold us in your love and remind us that we are your precious children, that you will never leave or forsake us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.